Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Again, we're doing the program by Zoom and pre-recording it. Our guest this week is a frequent guest on our program because he is the person who watches the purse, uh, our purse, our state treasurer, uh, Dale Falwell, who was elected as the 28th treasurer on November 2016 and has been recently re-elected for a second uh, second term. Um, and uh, Dale, uh, uh, we welcome you to the program, uh, Mr. Treasurer, and delighted to have you back with us and so many things to talk about. I hope you're doing well. It's great to be with you, and I wanted to say uh, either good morning or good afternoon to uh, your listeners across uh, North Carolina. Uh, well, thank you, and uh, again, thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, you know, the, the topic that is on everybody's mind these days, of course, still has to do with the uh, pandemic and the results of the pandemic and what it is doing to our economy, what it does to us as individuals and so forth. And and I guess we can sum up the thing by saying, as far as the overall economy, the pandemic or COVID-19 impact has not been nearly as bad on state government as perhaps it could have been. It, uh, the results have been a little bit more uh, promising than perhaps we'd expected. Would you agree with that? I would agree. As your listeners know by listening to your show over the last uh, 12 months that uh, the state was expecting more dramatic tax shortfalls uh, because of uh, what was happening to the economy. And, and uh, that's not going to be uh, quite as dire as, as once expected. But as we've talked about in the past, uh, uh, me being a COVID survivor uh, through an intensive care stay almost a year ago now, it's amazing how time has flown, that there's been a lot of attention on how to flatten the healthcare curve of North Carolina. But uh, more attention needs to be spent on how to flatten the economic curve of North Carolina. Well, the General Assembly is back in session. And as you said, uh, 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 the uh, or will be back in session for the next, uh, I guess, four or five months looking at uh, the situation. And as as we uh, as you just said, the, the situation is not nearly as dire as perhaps we had thought it might be. So uh, where has the, where have we had the most uh, severe effects. Uh, I know rural counties were always struggling with budget shortfalls to begin with. Does this make their situation even more dire? It does. And uh, you may recall from 25 years ago uh, in reading Warren Buffett's annual reports, which I know that you do, and I recommend that reading for any of your listeners. Uh, it's very entertaining as well as uh, uh, instructional and educational. Uh, Warren Buffett had a quote, and I'm only saying it because he said it, that you can't tell who doesn't have a bathing suit on until the tide goes out. <laughs> now, I, I know that's not a good visual for your listeners, for you or I, uh, but, but the fact is, is that the tide has been going out in many of these rural communities for almost 20 years. And uh, this COVID and the lack of attention on how to flatten the economic curve in rural North Carolina has made this tide go out even stronger and faster. And the, the big fear, and, and you know this as a person who is uh, recently featured as building you know, one of the great communication companies in North Carolina, uh, we've destroyed the joy of achievement in our state. And you know, your Curtis Media was built based on the joy of achievement. And 
people desiring upward mobility in their lives. And that's my biggest fear. And there are a lot of people in this state who can make a living through a computer, but there are still a tremendous amount of people, millions, who have to make their living with their hands, their back, and their feet. And they're really depending on the state government to have the right policies that involve transparency, consistency, common sense to uh, open this economy back up as soon as possible. Well, and of course, uh, always a, a great concern to everyone who has been promised a pension by the state of North Carolina or any of the other agencies that promise pensions that happen to be under the state fund. Uh, you have a state uh, pension that is $90 billion. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I guess we could have imagined, especially in uh, stock investments, not necessarily bonds, but in stock investments, we could have anticipated a, a big drop. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that that did not happen as much. What is the health of the pension plan at the present time? I'm very pleased to report for all of your listeners who teach, protect, or otherwise serve, and uh, and people who are related to those individuals, uh, that uh, the North Carolina pension system for the state and the local workers is one of the strongest in the United States, if not the world. Uh, and I report that to you in standing on the shoulders of the hardworking people in our investment management division and, and previous state treasurers, actually, of North Carolina, who have never pretended to have a crystal ball or, or gamble with these pension assets. Uh, I don't like to correct you more than once per segment, but we're very pleased to report that this pension plan is now at $116 billion instead of 90. And we just now got the preliminary numbers in, Don, for last year, and the return was 11.3%. And uh, that's pretty remarkable, given the conservative way that this plan is managed. And as you know, there are many pension plans across the country, public pension plans, that lost 25% of their value between St. Patrick's Day and July 4th of last year. Uh, and uh, North Carolina's was not one of those. So... With all the angst and anxiety that your teachers, uh, <coughs> law enforcement people, and other public service workers are facing in this COVID world, worrying uh, and stressing out about the safety and security of our pension plan is not one of them. And also, please report that the Board of Trustees uh, just approved uh, my third recommendation to lower the assumed rate of return in the pension plan. Hopefully your, your listeners don't wake up thinking about life expectancies and assume rates of return, but they should know that uh, I'm only the second treasurer in 62 years who has actually lowered the assumed rate of return so that it would be more realistic for what the stock market and bond market and the alternative investment market may give us over the next 10 years. So being more conservative about what this plan is going to earn is, is valuably important. Well, as, as we have discussed on previous programs, when the uh, years ago uh, we anticipated the value of money to be higher than it is today, I, I mean, it hasn't been that long ago since bonds were paying 5 and 6% and interest rate was 5 and 6%. But the good news and the bad news on the interest rate is when you're borrowing money, the interest rate uh, going down is good. But if, when you're trying to earn money, the interest rate going down means less return. And so that that uh, that lowering the that uh, lowering expectations had to happen because as as we've discussed before, uh, it was set up under different parameters. 
It sure was. Uh, this plan was never designed over uh, uh, 50 years ago, half a century. It was never designed for interest rates to be this low, for people to retire this early, and to live this long. And all three of those things are blessings. Low interest rates are great for the economy, for housing, for everything else, for issuing debt, by the way, by the state. We start there. You know, people having the ability to retire early is a blessing. And obviously, people living longer is a blessing. But as you said, it's a real headwind for pension plans, not just ours, but any pension plan in the United States. Well, uh, as, uh, I'm glad that you're addressing the problem because uh, letting that get out of hand over a period of time merely compounds the problem and makes it worse when uh, the uh, uh, chips get down on the table and, and you absolutely have to do it. It's better to anticipate the change than to wait on when it's an, uh, an absolute necessity. Well, I'm very pleased with the courage of the uh, Board of Trustees because when we lower the assumed rate of return, the amount of funding that we need from the employers, which are the state of North Carolina, the counties, the cities, for example, uh, the amount of money we need from them to continue funding the plan is has increases. So uh, this is this is very important. I appreciate the, the courage of the Board of Trustees for approving this. And yeah, it just goes back to something I've said to your listeners many times on your show that as Governor Martin used to always say and would still say uh, down in uh, Davidson, North Carolina, former Governor Jim Martin, that doing right's really wrong. And doing this with doing right. You mentioned the Board of Trustees. Who, who makes up the Board of Trustees of the pension plan? The Board of Trustees is made up of appointees of the uh, governor, the, uh, uh, the President Pro Temberger, and, and Speaker Moore. Uh, those are generally, and of course, myself, and there's some ex officio uh, members of the Board of Trustees. But uh, it's a very big board um, of all kinds of folks, uh, county commissioners. Uh, we've got a sheriff on there, county managers on the board of trustees, uh, former fire chiefs. Uh, so it's a it's a real uh, uh, interesting group of, of individuals who have experience, not only as participants in the pension plan, but also uh, in government units that have responsibility for funding the pension plan, which is vitally important. Well, I, I'm sure that having the participants in, involved in it uh, is great uh, comfort to you because it gives you a great uh, insight into the uh, how the pension plan members and those who are benefiting from it are currently viewing it. It does. And, you know, from time to time, subjects come up, for example, like cost of living adjustments. And uh, previous treasurers had all, always uh, made recommendations for cost of living adjustments. And but. The fact is, is there's a law on the books. It's been on the books the whole time. It says the board cannot make a recommendation for a cost of living adjustment when there's no statutory investment gains. And uh, when Harlan Bowles left the treasurer's office, uh, many of your listeners remember Treasurer Bowles uh, had worked in this uh, department as for probably over 35 years. When he left office in January 2001, uh, the plan had... Uh, 110 cents on the dollar, had every dollar it needed plus 10 cents. And of course, when Treasurer Moore was elected, Treasurer Moore was hit with 9-11, stock market was closed, stocks fell and two, after 9-11. Treasurer Moore worked really hard uh, and at the end of his term, then was hit with a great financial crisis and the plan lost tens of billions, billions of dollars during that period. So that's sort of what has happened over the last 22 years in the pension plan. And that's why I thought it was necessary to recommend a 
lowering and more realistic assumed rate of return. How often do you meet with this board? Every quarter. Uh, we do have occasion to meet uh, more than every quarter uh, when there's a contract that needs, needs to be renewed, but it's a very large board. The meetings are extremely long, very productive, but uh, we have to cover a lot of material like actuarial assumptions and, um, and asset liability studies. And there's just a, a lot of information and, and we're in the process. Uh, everything we do is transparent. Uh, but we're in the process of even making these board meetings more transparent over the internet. Uh, another function of your office, of course, is the state health plan, and we're going to put that off to an entire segment. We'll talk about that in great detail. Uh, we're talking with uh, North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell, uh, who is now beginning his second term uh, as uh, uh, the treasurer of the state of North Carolina. And we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has mom my. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with uh, North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell. In addition to serving as North Carolina's 28th treasurer for one term, he has now recently been reelected, but he has extensive government experience because he was a four-time member the North Carolina House of Representatives, including two years as Speaker Pro Tem. And uh, so he has a, a very good overview of how government works in North Carolina and, of course, uh, looks at the, uh, the funds and, and uh, takes care of uh, being sure that we are in good shape, not only in the pension plan, but in the health plan, which we're going to talk about later on in an entire segment. But right now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, because I know you have been very concerned about fraud in the pension plan because this is money that is paid out to people who do not deserve it and it is robbing the people who do deserve it of their their pension plan so where do we stand on the matter of fighting fraud and and finding those who are taking advantage of the system as you can imagine don uh in any organization that it's easy to uh to glaze over when you start talking about millions and in our instance tens of billions of dollars and 
So we've tried to create a culture here over the last four years where we focus on the number one. And uh, the number one is simply this. If one person is getting a benefit from this pension plan that doesn't deserve it, that's one too many. And if there's one person who is not getting a benefit from this pension plan that, that who does deserve it, that's one too many. So we really try to focus on, on, on the ones. And uh, as you can imagine, when we're paying out over $550 million in pension benefits every 30 days, and if you multiply that times 12, that's going to be nearly $7 billion this year in gross pension benefits just out of the pension plan. That's more than the state debt, if your listeners want to put that in some context. So, uh, and then we're paying that out to nearly 340,000 participants are receiving 550 million every 30 days. So, uh, you know, a couple of things that come up from time to time, unfortunately, and we would love to be the Maytag repair person and, and not have any of these kinds of situations, but that's just not the reality. Uh, one is, is that we had a person who had been cashing his deceased mother's pension check for 16 years. Uh, I was asked one time by, a uh, person in law enforcement, well, Mr. Treasurer, what, what confidence or, or uh, evidence do you have? I said, I have a death certificate and I have canceled checks. <laughs> I don't know what else I needed. <laughs> uh, the most recently and unfortunately just had two instances in Versailles County where we had uh, one was in Kernersville called Dumpster Gate uh, and where we had a person who was just convicted of fraudulently building, billing the city of Kernersville as an employee of Kernersville for trash and dumpster services uh, that were fictitious. Uh, and then just a few miles up the road there, also in Versailles County, we unfortunately have just another example of a uh, uh, school teacher uh, having indecent liberties with students. So this is happening all across the state. And, and the reason it should matter to your listeners is simply this, that if we're focused on the one, we're also focused on that in terms of the taxpayers and, and the other participants in these plans and, and making sure that we apply our felony forfeiture law is very important. And this will be really uh, uh, something that I think your listeners have probably thought about, but maybe not have heard much about. Uh, we have a law in the books that I, that I helped uh, pass that basically said that if you're committing crimes while in your public service duties, and you're convicted of those crimes over a period of years, whatever that period of time is, then once that conviction comes down, we go into your pension plan and we remove those years of service. There's nothing more irritating or distasteful to the people of North Carolina than to have public servants who are, who are criminals, who are premeditatedly committing crimes, normally having to do with financial embezzlement, and earning a pension service while they're committing the crime. So, uh, and just an example that with all the things dividing our country and our state right now, which is, you know, Democrat, Republican, Independent, and, and male, female, and, and white and black, uh, we don't have any of that at the treasurer's office. It's all, it's all green. Uh, the first felony forfeiture law that I had to apply was to a Republican member of the North Carolina Senate. Uh, the last big felony forfeiture law that I had to apply was the convicted register of deeds in Wake County, also a Republican. 
So we don't pick and choose which laws to apply or who to apply them to. And I hope that brings your listeners a very high level of comfort. Is there, is there a need to adjust the amount of pension that someone can earn? Because again, salary levels were considerably different uh, 20 years ago than they are today. What, uh, what goes into that uh, uh, formula? I'm not able to answer that prospectively. Uh, I'd like to answer it uh, through the rear view mirror. Uh, 50, 30, 20 years ago even, we should have set up a bifurcated system that, uh, that took into account these higher paid individuals uh, versus our, uh, those that teach, protect, and serve who may make 35 or $40,000 a year. We should have set up a different tier of, of pension system for the higher income individuals. And uh, that was never done. Is it too late to change that? Of course, you can't change the past, but you can change the future. Yes. And, you know, as I've said to uh, your listeners and anyone that, uh, that would listen over the last five years, I've always committed as the state treasurer and keeper of the public purse to preserve strengthen, but also figure out, which is to your question, how to sustain, sustain this pension plan for not just this, but the next generation of public service workers. And I'm always uh, working on that and thinking about it. You are a, a keen observer of other states. How many states are actually in trouble in their pension plan and are going to have a, a, a period of time where they are going to have to face facts that they can't pay out? Now, North Carolina is in better shape, but uh, what about the other states? Let's talk about this in context of just some of the border states. Uh, uh, our pension plan is nearly 90% funded. Uh, the South Carolina pension system is 57% funded. One of the Kentucky uh, general government retirement systems is 20% funded. The Alabama system is 68% funded. And we won't even talk about Illinois and some of these other states that their funded levels are, are horrifically low. Uh, we are facing the same headwinds, but we're better, we're a better funded plan. And I want to introduce something I don't think I've ever talked about on your show. And I have to say, I used to stutter and I need to really say it slowly just so I, it comes out correctly. We are now in a, a, a situation with our pension plan for the first time in state history where there are less people paying into the plan than are not. Does that mean that anyone who's not paying in the plan is getting a pension? No, it just means that they're vested and eventually they'll get a pension. So we got really three groups of, of people in this plan. We've got the active employees, we've got the people who've earned the benefit but not yet drawing the benefit. And we've got the people, as I mentioned earlier, 350 40,000 checks, $550 million of people who are actually drawing the, drawing the pension. So my point of saying that to you is that this is the same math that your listeners mostly, especially those that are my age, have been hearing all of their lives about the Social Security system. Uh, you know, back in the day, I bet there was 200 people paying into Social Security for every person that was drawing. And now we're quickly going toward a, the calculus of 
two and a half people paying in the social security system for everyone drawing. So just to apply that to our state pension system, it's not as dramatic as the, as the social security system, but it just goes to the point that when you have less people paying into the plan and are not paying into the plan, it creates another set of headwinds in addition to lower interest rates, increased life expectancies and, and early retirements. Of course, inflation was supposed to take care of some of that, and uh, uh, but inflation rates are, are, are right now historically less than perhaps we had anticipated as well. I know you've had Michael Waldron on your show uh, uh, from you know the, the uh, famous North Carolina State economist and uh, you know to talk about inflation, but it's just always been bizarre to me as a as a common sense person and, and accountant how you could say something was inflation x food and energy. I mean, who in the world can live without food and energy? <laughs> you know, but you know, and you agree, right? They produced yes. this, they produced this statistic says. The inflation rate was so-and-so X food and energy. I just think that uh, we need to retool a lot of those numbers. Well, it's, uh, you know, adjustments have to be made along the way and we get in trouble when we don't do them in time. What are those states that are going to be dramatically un underfunded? I guess they'll, they'll just be added to their current budgets. Is that is that the way they will honor their, their commitments? There will be a crowding out. And as I have said, and I work closely with the State Employees Association, have a great working relationship with them. Uh, it goes it goes under the heading of who, who ate my paycheck or who ate my pay raise? Because as you and your listeners know that we're talking about tens of billions of dollars here, but it really translates to something that goes on in their everyday life. You know, what we call above the line expenses. And the above the line expenses for the state of North Carolina, the county of Wake, or any city or county across North Carolina, the above the line expenses are money that has to go in the pension plan, money that has to go toward public service workers for health care and pharmaceutical needs, and money that has to go toward pay down any debt that they've issued over the years. And that's really the same thing in, in our everyday lives. It's the same thing in the life of Curtis Media. Those are the three big top of, top of the line expenses. So directly to answer your question, uh, when these plans are so over underfunded and the amount of money leaving these plans is so dramatic, then they have to go out and, and their annual budgets every year and take money away from things that your listeners care deeply about, public education, public safety, public works and public roads. So they're, they're becomes a rationing, so to speak, in order to make these pension obligations. But basically, uh, to, I guess, wrap, to wrap up this session, uh, is there any legislation that will come before the General Assembly this year that will affect the pension plans? We are working on some administrative changes uh, regarding the pension plan and, and some, some other uh, uh, types of issues. Uh, but, you know, the, the three big levers as far as Sustaining the pension plan are obviously the retirement age uh, and, and the multiplier uh, because I have also committed not to ask the employees to put more in. And some of your listeners may not be aware of every public worker that they know at the city, the county, or the state level, 6% of their own salary goes into this pension plan every 30 days. 
Well, that is, is certainly a big uh, part of your duties, and, and I'm sure that the uh, employees of the uh, various agencies appreciate your looking after their interests because that's their retirement plan, and that's uh, something that's been promised to them. Well, our guest is Dale Falwell. He's the uh, state treasurer of the state of North Carolina, and we're going to talk about the state health plan in a later segment. Um, and uh, uh, and then in the next segment, we're going to talk about the interest rates and uh, the ability of the state to borrow additional funds to keep the economy moving. And we'll do that when we return with more here on Carolina Newsmakers. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, State Treasurer Dale Falwell. We've talked about a number of matters so far. And uh, we, uh, again, are going to save the uh, discussion of the state health plan, which is a very important part of the duties of the State Treasurer's Office, to the next segment, the last segment of the program. But right now, let's talk a little bit about interest rates and how important North Carolina's bond rating is. North Carolina has always enjoyed a great bond uh, rating because we have always been able to satisfy those who are issuing the bonds that they're safe and secure, and that saves millions of dollars and allows us to spend more of the proceeds of the borrowings that we make uh, on the projects. So where do we stand on the uh, the bond rating and, and uh what are the prospects for uh, additional borrowings? I'm very pleased to report, Don, to your listeners that uh, the bond rating is still affirmed by all three rating agencies. It's a triple, triple, triple A. Uh, we're one of only 14 states that has the triple A bond rating. And with all the discourse that's happening in our country right now, I think there's at least one thing that every single person agrees on. And that is that if the decision is made to borrow money for public schools, public safety, public works, or public roads, that being able to do that at the lowest possible interest rates means you get more of whatever it is you're purchasing. And that's what a AAA bond rating gives you. It's the equivalent to your, for your listeners of, as a credit score for them or for your restaurateurs as a sanitation rate. It's a sign of quality. 
And being able to borrow money at, at low interest rates is a blessing if what you're borrowing at all is, is for the right reasons. Uh, between Thanksgiving, Halloween and the end of the year uh, in 2020, uh, we either issued or refunded over $1.7 billion, billion worth of debt through the treasurer's office in North Carolina. <clears throat> and uh, some of the general obligation debt, which I'm more in favor of, and the reason is, is that it's voter approved debt. I simply believe that if you're going to put something on someone's credit card, you should get their permission to do so. So voter approved debt, uh, the GO bonds that we issued uh, last fall went out at 1.41%. 1.41% was the interest rate that we ended up paying. And by working with the new secretary of uh, the Department of Transportation after two years of uh, them being broken, broken, uh, we were able to issue some transportation bonds at 1.58%, uh, I believe it was. So my point of going through all of that is that uh, having a AAA bond rating is very important, and it ticks and ties back into some of the other topics we've talked about in the other segments, and which are very simply that when the rating agencies look at our quality and look at our, our, our and assign us a, a, a bond rating, they're looking at how well we budget. Do we have surpluses? Are we living within our means? Are we funding our pension plan? Uh, what's our unfunded pension and healthcare liabilities? So these are all the things that so-called get baked into a bond rating uh, that results in us being able to borrow money at very low interest rates. Who buys the bonds? Who, are, who uh, do you turn to when you sell these bonds? Who primarily ends up buying them and owning them? Uh, institutions, uh, folks like yourself and other listeners like you. Who <coughs> Are you saying I should be institutionalized? Uh, I think people have talked about that for a very long period of time. And, uh, but, uh, uh, I, I think you're, I think you're as sharp as you've ever been. So, oh, okay. But, uh, but anyway, my, my point of my attempt to answer your question is that, uh, uh, individual investors, uh, they are typically sold in $5,000 increments and, uh, individual investors who are in a tax bracket such that they want to, earn uh, money on a tax-free basis because when you buy, for example, a North Carolina general obligation bond, there, there's no federal tax on the income, there's no state tax on the income, and there used to be something that you're very familiar with called the intangibles tax, uh, and back in the day there was there would be no intangibles tax either on the, on the bond income, so it's for those types of individuals, but we have a lot of banks who offset their asset liabilities, so they're of their bank portfolios uh, with tax-free bonds. So all the above. Well, uh, of course, as uh, you said, that the interest rate is low, but the yield to the, the uh, uh, considering the tax consequences, the yield to the buyer of the bond is higher than the 1.4 because of the tax consequences, as you pointed out. Uh, so uh, do we have borrowing power right now in North Carolina? Are we in shape that, that if, if we uh, were to elect to, Take this opportunity now with the economy needing a little bit of a boost, perhaps, uh, to uh, do some public works projects, uh, infrastructure, and so forth. Is this a good time to do that? It's a good time to analyze all the uh, needs that we have across the state. And, and 
for your listeners, uh, this, these are not needs sometimes that they can actually see. Uh, we have as much need under the ground as we do on top of the ground. <laughs> so it's not always, you know, public safety buildings or school buildings or community colleges or, or university buildings. It's, uh, we got a lot of infrastructure under the ground that, is, that has needs. I, one of the 21 major responsibilities and duties as the state treasurer and keeper of the public purse is that I chair the Debt Affordability Commission. <clears throat> and the, uh, the Debt Affordability Commission, and I think you would join me in wishing that the federal government had a Debt Affordability Commission. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Debt Affordability Commission is something we do every year. We submit a report to the General Assembly and the government <coughs> that talks about our credit limit, so to speak, our credit card limit. And uh, we do have borrowing capacity on the, on the general fund. Uh, I hope that anything the General Assembly passes and the governor approves uh, will be put to the voters. I just think that if you're gonna put something on someone's credit card, you should ask their permission. And the voters, when they're given the right information, pretty much overwhelmingly support these types of, of bonds. Uh, so that's on the general government side. Uh, the DOT, uh, because of their broken brokenness over the last three years uh, and overspending their budget by billions of dollars and eviscerating the highway trust fund by another billion dollars, uh, the, the Department of Transportation's credit limit, their credit card is pretty much maxed out. So uh, we're working uh, with OSPM, the fiscal research staff at the legislature, uh, in order to get our debt affordability study done. Now that report's typically due uh, two weeks ago. We're not in the business of being two weeks late on something this as this as important as this. But it's really important for your listeners to know this wasn't a dog eat your homework situation. Uh, the last consensus forecast for the tax revenues into the state of North Carolina were done in May. And as we now know, those tax forecasts were much too pessimistic and I didn't feel it was prudent to put a debt affordability study out there that was using numbers that I thought were, uh, now we now know in rearview mirror, were artificially suppressed. So the reason my homework's not turned in for the Debt Affordability Commission study is that we're still waiting on the consistent, consistent consensus numbers from the Office of State Management Budget as well as the legislature. Well, you say consensus, but we also have a census coming up. How uh, uh, report uh, just how many people live in North Carolina and where they live and so forth. How will that affect your office when the uh, final census count comes out? It doesn't uh, directly affect our office. Uh, obviously, it would impact the uh, a lot of the federal reimbursements that North Carolina gets uh, from all kinds of different places, whether it's water, sewer, or highway construction, or or, uh, or broadband. Uh, so it was, uh, in, in, a, in a really uh, indirect way, it, it would affect us in, in a positive way. But, you know, when the, until the census comes out, the uh, we, which they're required to do every 10 years, it's amazing it's been 10 years already. Uh, until that comes out, the General Assembly can't really do uh, redistricting, and, and that's when we will uh, determine uh, what has been predicted for a couple of years that North Carolina will, re will receive the 14th congressional district. What is the relationship between uh, your office and uh, the counties and cities when they issue bonds? 
great question. We uh, Another one of the 21 major duties and responsibilities that I have is to keep the public purse and state treasurer is I chair the local government commission. The local government commission was formed after the bankruptcy of Asheville after the depression. I'm sure you remember that. And uh, that was treasurer humor, by the way. Uh, and uh, I knew him well. Okay. And uh, the, uh, so the local government commission, uh, if you remember back in the days before Jason was born, when we used to ride mini bikes, they, a lot of them had lawnmower engines on them. And there's a thing on the carburetor called a governor. And it's not the governor you talk about on your show a lot. That's a noun. This is a, a, a mechanism that keeps an engine from over revving. So the governor, so to speak, on the cities and counties and uh, the state itself, actually, and airport authorities, um, universities, hospitals, for example, is something called the Local Government Commission, which I chair. And uh, the Local Government Commission uh, oversees over 1,300 entities. That's 100 counties, 550 cities, and others that come in front of the Local Government Commission to get the thumbs up to issue debt on a tax-free basis. And we have a great partnership and working relationship with Paul Meyer of the League of Municipalities. He was just in my office this morning for an hour at eight o'clock, and uh, as well as uh, uh, Kevin uh, over at the uh, uh, County Commissioner Association and also the UNC School of Government. So we, along with the Local Government Commission, try to try to work hand in hand to figure out what's right, get it right, and keep it right, not just on behalf of the state, but on behalf of these counties and cities that you just mentioned. Well, of course, as, as our citizens well know, uh, state government has to have a balanced budget, and that includes the debt service. Uh, and so it is important for all this stuff to be reconciled and brought together. Uh, I want to uh, turn very quickly, we've got about two minutes left in this segment, to unclaimed cash. Uh, that's something that uh, you have, uh, uh, what is, where does that fund stand right now? There's nearly $900 million <clears throat> at nccash.com. Uh, I was doing a radio show with the uh, former governor, Pat McCrory, this morning. He had six entries there uh, at nccash.com. We just gave $160,000 to a person uh, last year that was a beneficiary of a life insurance policy and no one ever told her. Uh, we just gave 2,500 bucks to the Carolina Panthers and then they gave that money to a domestic abuse shelter in Charlotte. The domestic abuse shelter had money at NC Cash and three of the five reporters who covered the story had money at NC Cash. So another valuable reason to listen to your show and that is to go to nccash.com. Don't just check your name. Uh, if you're married, check your maiden name, check your kid's name, check your parents' names. Check your church's name, check your nonprofit's names, check your business's names. Uh, names. Uh, there's over 15 million entries at nccash.com, and your chances are much better than playing the lottery since they're only 10 million citizens. So this, uh, for those who may not know, this is money that does not belong to individuals, but uh, that does belong to individuals, but the people that have the money don't uh, either lost an address or lost contact or so forth. And that uh, uh, web address one more time. nccash.com. And uh, as I said earlier, the 160,000 was to a woman who's the beneficiary of a life insurance policy. I mean, and people say, well, how could that happen? Well, people don't normally broadcast who's going to be the beneficiary of the life insurance policy. That wouldn't be very smart. 
Well, uh, uh, so, a lot of parents bought uh, life insurance policies for their children when they were born, and the children may not even know they exist. Yeah. So it's the last paycheck or rent deposit, a dividend check from electric co-op for just a few of the examples. And, of course, we do have some uh, physical items because of the uh, lock boxes that get us cheated to the treasurer's office. Our guest is uh, North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell. We'll be back with one final segment, and we're going to talk about the state health plan when we do that, right here on Carolina Newsmakers. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the North Carolina State Treasurer, Dale Falwell, recently re-elected, now serving his second term after uh, uh, being first elected in 2016, and before that, of course, was a four-term member of the North Carolina House of Representatives, and also has served the state as Assistant Secretary of Commerce with the Employment Security Commission. Um, and we have talked about all sorts of things. We have purposely put off to last one of the major functions of the state treasurer's office, and that is uh, governing and uh, providing the state health plan for some, uh, what, uh, 700,000 state employees, retirees, and their dependents. Is that about the number that is covered by this plan? Exactly right. Uh, nearly three-quarters of a million people uh, who taught, protected, or otherwise served, mainly at the state level and their dependents, and it makes the state health plan the largest purchaser, single purchaser of health care in North Carolina, as well as pharmaceuticals. Well, of course, uh, health plans are very important because the cost of medical care continues to increase. Uh, part of that is because, as you said earlier, people are living longer. That's one reason. But another reason is uh, we keep having new developments in medicine that uh, prolong life and give people better health. But with that, it com there comes a cost and somebody has to pay for it. So uh, that's the people who are buying these services and uh, uh, the people who are buying health services either pay for it out of their pocket or from their insurance plan. And uh, so uh, everyone is concerned. And of course, we've got uh, the complications brought about uh, Medicare and Medicaid and so forth. So just sort of give us an overview of where this plan stands and how does it work with Medicare and Medicaid and so forth? 
as I've said to your listeners in the past, uh, unlike everything else they do in their life, healthcare, even after they've consumed it, they don't know the quality and the price of it. You know, today for people like ourselves, Don, uh, it's Senior Citizen Day at, at Harris Teeter. So if we were going to shop, today would be the day to go so we get our Senior Citizen discount. And why does that matter in the context of healthcare? The reason it matters is that if you push the power down to individuals and you give them the tools to determine where the price and the value of things are, they collectively will help us reduce the cost of healthcare in North Carolina, which has been going up at two, three, and sometimes four times the cost of the amount of inflation. And this is a very serious issue, not only for the country, but for our state, our state health plan. But let's be very personal about this for a moment. This is a really big issue for those that teach, protect, and serve, especially the entry-level workers, uh, maybe the corrections officer or the, or, the, or the new teacher or the new trooper. Uh, being able to have accessible, high-quality, affordable health care is something that's very important. So when you have a family premium, for example, that takes a, a of 25% of their budget uh, just for a family premium is something that uh, where they have to end up making a decision between do I get health care, do I pay the mortgage, do I get energy, do I pay the health care, do I get food, do I get health care, do I live my life or do health care. And, you know, as the largest purchaser of health care in North Carolina, we're trying every day to do it better and more efficiently on behalf of those that teach, protect, and serve. Now, why is this so important? Number one is it's the right thing to do. Uh, it just seems like the fixed income and lower income people are really the ones that get hurt the most when it comes to runaway healthcare costs. But the second reason is that I inherited a 32 billion, that's B billion dollar unfunded healthcare liability as the state treasurer in North Carolina. I'm often asked at Rotary Clubs, for example, how could you sit here as the state treasurer and say that the pension plan is one of the best funded and now the health plan is one of the most insolvent in the United States, right behind Illinois. And the answer, answer is not emotional or political, which we never get on the show, it's mathematical. Unlike the pension plan, which had money going into it every 30 days by the participant, the employee and the employer, and then that money was invested in the group, this obligation for people to be eligible for, for lifetime health care has been uh, brewing for over 40 years and no money was ever put aside for that. That's why uh, I inherited a $32 billion unfunded healthcare liability. But we made some great strides last year. Uh, we announced our Medicare Advantage contract for our retirees over the age of 65. Uh, these are amazing numbers I'm getting ready to give you. No cost to the participant for the 73rd basic plan, $4 dependent cost, and no cost to the taxpayers of North Carolina. No cost to the participant, $4 cost per dependent per month, and no cost to the taxpayers. That one contract has the potential of saving nearly $1 billion over five years, and we're taking all of those savings and putting it toward this unfunded healthcare liability, which in the last segment we talked about bond ratings, but the rating agencies really care about these unfunded liabilities and. I try to put this in terms that many in North Carolina are very familiar with. It's a military term called I.I. Uh, we've heard that all of our lives, but uh, some don't know exactly what it means. I.I. actually means that I hear you, 
I understand and have processed what you've told me and I'm doing something about it. And so as we try to whittle away at this unfunded liability, it's sort of an eye-eye to the rating agencies that we hear them, we understand it, and we're doing something about it. Uh, you know, we're undergoing right now a time in our life where billions of people are being vaccinated for the COVID-19 situation. Uh, who's paying the cost of the vaccines? Well, the, uh, the federal government's paying the cost and the federal government's getting that money by borrowing it, uh, number one. And number two, for example, the state health plan's calling, paying for the cost of, the, of administering the vaccine. And the state health plan has incurred $72 million in, uh, for treatment and testing of COVID. And now we're expected to incur another $150 million this year that we've not been reimbursed for. So we're looking at nearly a quarter of a billion dollars uh, that the state health plan has expended on behalf of those that teach, protect, and serve. And uh, we're working uh, is, I mean, we're being, we're asking for this to be, this money to be paid back to us. You know, this state has received almost $4 billion, $3 billion of COVID care money. And we're getting, we're on the verge of receiving billions more. <clears throat> and for the state health plan to not be reimbursed for actual testing, actual treatment, and actual administration of vaccines for those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve is uh, something is that I'm very frustrated about. And I hope that the, the General Assembly and the governor will just uh, give us what we've spent. That's all, we're, we're not asking for one penny more. We're just asking to be reimbursed for the money that we've spent for the testing, the treatment and the administration of vaccines for COVID. Any other fallout from COVID-19 that we will be paying for for years later in our health insurance? Other mental than health. health. I think part. mental health. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think that, I think that when you get people out of the routines, when you take the joy of achievement and the dream of upward mobility out of people's lives, I think that, um, that you, we're gonna have dramatic mental health issues going forward. And uh, as I'm reminded, and don't try to think about too much every day, I'm not sure uh, if you, but as I, I'm on my motorcycle and riding out through the country uh, out from Winston-Salem, it just reminds me when I look off into a field once in a while and see something rusting. And when you rest, you rust. And um, <clears throat> there are a lot of people because of COVID, because of uh, being quarantined, because of not going out, not having interaction with people, not in their normal day of just moving. Motion creates emotion. And uh, I feel like there's going to be a big emotional uh, toll to, to COVID-19. Let's uh, change the subject a little bit because, of course, you were with the Employment Security Commission and headed that agency for a while. Unemployment claims are, of course, very high now because a lot of people, because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, have lost their jobs. Where does... Uh, where do we stand there? I haven't seen the latest numbers, but uh, another good piece of good news and something rating agencies take into account. Uh, as you may recall, eight years ago, I was uh, put in as the Assistant Secretary of Commerce in charge of unemployment. And when that happened, I inherited $2.7 billion, that's B billion dollar debt. Now, why does that matter to your listeners? Well, you're, the, the listeners on who are business owners know exactly why it matters. When that debt was outstanding, they were 
along with Curtis Media and all the other companies across North Carolina, were paying increased FUDA, federal, and SUDA state unemployment <coughs> surcharges on payroll. So let me get this straight for you. That means that we were increasing the cost of hiring people while we were hiring, asking you to hire people. <laughs> it's very perverse. So uh, we're very, I'm pleased to report that over 31 months, starting in 2013, uh, that 2.7 billion was paid off, which means all those surcharges went away. A billion dollar, which ultimately became a $4 billion surplus a year ago next week <coughs> uh, was formed. And that is what is given the unemployment agency the cushion uh, to pay out over two billions of dollars of unemployment claims for North Carolina. There are a lot of border states around us who have burned through their surpluses and are now back into the negative borrowing and their unemployment systems. And that's going to result in payroll taxes of their communities uh, possibly going up. Another competitive advantage uh, for businesses who are thinking about coming to or expanding in North Carolina and hiring more people? Well, certainly uh, the uh, the unemployment benefits mean so much to those who have lost their jobs, and a lot of people have because of COVID-19 and the prospects of many of them returning. Uh, it's going to be a slow recovery, and this is this is good. So basically you're saying our in North Carolina, we're in fairly good shape to uh, uh, fulfill our obligations. I wouldn't trade places with any other state treasurer as far as the unemployment trust fund, as far as the rainy day fund, as far as the uh, fundedness of the pension plan. There's so many parts about the North Carolina balance sheet that bring our citizens and especially our corporate citizens a high degree of confidence, but also certainty about what the tax and financial future looks like uh, going forward. We've got about 45 seconds for you to answer this question. What's at the absolute top of your list of things that you're looking at in the next 30 days? What uh, is uh, heading your agenda? The top of my list is continue to work with uh, rural North Carolina and some of these struggling cities, counties, and, and water and sewer districts. And, and we know that, you know, the key to rural North Carolina uh, is to have uh, high quality, accessible, affordable health care, good public schools, uh, good uh, clean water and affordable sewer rates, but also more importantly, affordable electricity rates. Uh, very important to get those economies back up on their feet. Well, uh, you have left me with plenty of time to thank you very much and remind people to check that NC Cash uh, website to see if the state has any money that actually belongs to you. And also to remind listeners that uh, this program is available on carolinanewsmakers.com if you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, or if you're listening to the 30-minute version of the program, you can hear the other two segments that you missed. Uh, there are four segments total, and some of the stations, of course, carry uh, only two of the segments. carolinanewsmakers.com is the uh, web address, and uh, you can go there and, and hear the entire broadcast or share it with a friend. The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another guest for us again next week right here on the same group of stations. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.